All right, thank you for downloading the Cruise Control Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud.com. You can follow me, the host, Randy Cruz, on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-A-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. This is Billy Corbin, director of Cocaine Cowboys and the 30 for 30s, The U and Broke. And there's nothing we love in Miami more than driving cruise control with no hands, steering with our knee, and not using turn signals, which is kind of what it's like listening to the Cruise Control Podcast with my man, Randy Cruz. I am now joined by six-time NBA All-Star Sean Kemp. Uh, it's, it's a great honor to have you on the podcast tonight. Um, I've been wanting this... This day is to happen for for quite some time. So again, Sean Camp now on the podcast. What's up, my man? How you doing? Man, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's raining in Seattle as always. Oh <laughs> uh, man. Um, so right off the back, man, what's what's going on in the world of Sean Camp? How you doing? How's your health? Uh, things like that. Man, everything is good. Man, like uh, you know, I've, I've been I've had a blessed life. First of all. And, uh, and second of all, I had a, a pretty good plan on, on on playing the game of basketball and also uh, life after basketball because that that becomes most important, you know, to us athletes is is um, how you how you enjoy life after the game because while you're playing the game, you have so much fun, man. It's right. just so exciting. You have so much fun, but uh, after basketball, it's like a lot of responsibilities with your family, your kids, and stuff. So you want to be able to put yourself in the right position, not just financially, but spirit-wise, just to be able to handle everything and, and also have some enjoyment out of it yourself. So you mentioned you're you're living you're living in Seattle right now, right? Correct. Correct. So I've never been to Seattle. I heard a lot of great things about it. Uh, I'm just a fan of the Western states like that. Hopefully, I, I get out there one time. But talk to me about how is the Seattle uh, city of Seattle? The Seattle, the city is beautiful, man. I've um, I've been out here for quite some time. Um, you know, playing basketball here, and then I, I decided to make this my home years ago. My wife's from here. Like we raised our kids out here, mm. so uh, you know, the city is a very friendly city. Um, very nice people. Uh, you know, just um, just a lot of a lot of community stuff that they do out here. That's kind of what drew my attention to to sustain in this area. Just to be involved in something that was positive, and I uh, just have positive people around me, and I think I've been able to do that here in Seattle. Now, I mentioned, uh, you you know, you played in the NBA 14 years, six-time All-Star, but um, obviously there's, a, there's a, a beginning to all of that. Um, what got you into playing basketball, and who were, your, who were your idols growing up that made you say, you know what, this is what I want to do? Well, I mean, I think I was attracted to, to sports. And, uh, I mean, I also played a lot of some other sports. I played football. I played baseball growing up. Basketball probably wasn't my first love. So, but sports has always been my love. And, you know, if you look at us players and stuff, and most of us, most of us guys that play ball usually will say that they have an idol that's in their sport. Right. My, my, idol, my idol was Jim Brown. You know, growing up, simply because he played the game. He played the game of basketball. Then he left the game of basketball. Or I mean, the game of football. When he left the game of football, what he did, man, he prepared himself for life after football. And like I said, to me, that 
was already in my mind at a young age is that I wanted to be in a position to be able to not just help myself, but be a part of something in the community that could help others, help other people, and uh, man, just, just put a smile on people's face. So, uh, you know, I always looked up to Jim Brown from how he handled himself, not just playing on that football field, but when he went and made movies, when he wrote, wrote books. So there was a lot of other things to an athlete than just the sport that they played. You know, some people get a chance to meet or talk to their idols. You mentioned Jim Brown. Have you ever met or, or, or spoken to Jim Brown? I have met him before. I played. Um, I did play for Cleveland Cavaliers, so I've had the, the chance of meeting him and uh, spending a little time with him. And uh, like I said, man, he's just a very impressive human being to be able to handle so much. You know, and success is, these days, uh, success is so tough to get. And once you get that, man, you kind of want to hold on to it. So... For him to uh, to take off at the prime of his career and to try something different, I think it just speaks value of, of what he's about as a man. He's not afraid to take chances, but also you got to be pretty serious about that stuff in order for there to be uh, you know progress to be made. So I think he really took it serious in the movie industry. I think he took it, the whole thing serious, so he was able to make a great life for himself. Mm. You're you're currently 12 years uh, away from the NBA. You retired back in '03. Um, do you miss it? Do you uh, do you still play uh, every now and then? Yeah, definitely. I keep myself in pretty good shape. I'm actually probably in better shape now than when I was when I left the game of basketball. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, so I, I mean, just throughout the years, I, I definitely miss a little bit of the game, but I don't miss necessarily the grind. I'm not one of these guys to say I wish I was still out there on the court because I do not. But I miss the, <laughs> I miss being in the locker room with the guys. I miss some of sometimes the the, the, the actions with the fans, mm-hmm. some of the things that goes along with it, but not necessarily the basketball game. So now you were drafted 17th in, in 1989 NBA draft. Um, you're from Indiana. You go to, to the Northwest in Seattle. What was that transition like for you? Oh, man, a very tough transition at the time because, as you know, at this time, um, players didn't go from high school. Like, from high, I had no college experience playing on the court. I've never, I've never, you know, practiced with a college team or uh, played in a college game or anything like that. So I had no, no college experience. So when you make that transition, you don't get a lot of credit or a lot of help towards that. So you really got to put out the effort. Uh, and I will say this, man, like at a young age when you make that jump, it's really not about having fun. It's just about you making that commitment to make yourself better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and uh, what a lot of kids don't understand is the game of basketball is it's a beautiful sport. But when you get out there on the court with these pros, they've played it for so long. They have the correct footwork. They, um, the, you know, just technically they're more sound than you are because they spend more time in college. So when you have to make all that stuff up, in a quick time, it can sometimes slow your progress down. So you really have to put that work and the effort out there. Um, obviously, the feeling you must have had on draft night, I know you were happy, your family was happy. Um, how excited or what was it feeling like you had when your name was called um, that night? Oh, man. I mean, I, 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 I mean I'll, I'll talk to you about this. I, it, was a, it was a good feeling because, you know, I, as a young man, you, you, you're working your butt off and you really want to make it to the pros when you have a chance and you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put my effort out and hire an agent, 
you know, give up your eligibility for collegiate and stuff. You say you're really going to put all this and stuff and you're going to do it. You know, what you realize after you're drafted is that you're the bottom man on the totem pole. So, uh, you know, so you have like two or three good days of just enjoying everything. And then you realize you got to work your butt off just to get on that court because these guys have been playing for a while and they're real serious about their job. So the, the fun of it really goes away really quick, you know, and the uh, the seriousness of it really, really gets to you because like the second day after I got drafted, I realized I was number 13 on the team. It was only 13 players at the time on the team. Mm-hmm. So I was the number 13 player. So it's like, look. In order for me to stay, I better get out here on the court and really practice on a lot of things that these guys know. At the time you were drafted, you were the you know the the youngest player in the NBA. Obviously, there had to be a lot of pressure for you. Um, how much pressure did you feel uh, upon yourself during your your rookie season and uh, first few years in the league? Not at all. I didn't feel any pressure. Yeah, and I mean this. I didn't feel any pressure because. The way that I saw it was this: is that it was why I, I took the chance on taking the jump. I, um, you know, I could have stayed in school and and, uh, and played college ball, but I took that chance in going to uh, the pros. So it was my responsibility to step on this court and to let these people know that I wanted to play and uh, I wanted to play a lot. So, you know, the the, the thing about it is that where the pressure really comes from. Like I said, is that you. Everybody on that team really does something good. You have good shooters, you have good rebounders, you have you have all these people. These, these men have practiced and done this stuff for years, so they know exactly what to do. What you have to do is to be able to go on the court and put an expression on these coaches' face by by doing the little things, the little things. And a lot of times, guys coming out of college are not used to doing the little things. So one of the things I was able to notice is that a lot of these guys were. Man, college for it. They were used to shooting and scoring and stuff. So what I was able to do was just put my energy into the game, was doing little things, getting steals, getting blocked shots, setting good picks, doing a lot of good things just uh, underneath where people didn't really see in the stands. But the coaches and the players on the team definitely recognized it. Mm. Now, what most people may not know is that the the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel, was a mentor to you. Uh, during your days in Seattle. Um, how so, and what were some of the things that the X-Man taught you? Oh, man, just, you know, a lot of things. You're absolutely right. The guys on the team, I was so young. I was 18 when I got to Seattle. So they all kind of took me under their wing, all the players did, and, and basically just, just showed me a different side of uh, what I had to do. So he, he stayed on me on a daily basis on being consistent, work ethic, uh, you know, just really pushing me. Um, and I owe a lot to him because he really made me a physical player. And I mean this when I say this. Uh, the biggest thing from playing college or high school basketball, when you get into the pros, you don't realize how physical it is. So I owe a lot to Xavier McDaniel for just spending some time with me um, after practice, just, you know, playing one-on-one, really just teaching me the physical aspect of things where I could really handle it because, you know, well, the rules have changed today in today's game, but 10 or 15 years ago it was much more physical game, and uh, you really had to you really had to have your strength underneath that basket to compete with some of these guys of Charles Oakley, Buck Williams, um, you know Robert Parrish, Larry Bird. A lot of these guys were big big men, so they were the players was much bigger back then than what they are in the current today. Mm. You did mention. T- uh... 
today's game. I, I do want to sidebar real quick. Are you a fan of the type of NBA basketball you see today, or do you feel like like something is missing from today as it was back in your day? Well, I, I think uh, well, I, I think that today's game is a fun and exciting game, and the players are great, mm-hmm. and what you what you seeing is great. I think what we miss sometimes when we say it's not quite the same is just the physical aspect of the game, right? And that and that reason, yeah, the re- and that reason is just because the rules change. When the rules change, yeah, people have to understand that the NBA wanted these games to be a little faster. They wanted guys to score more points. So I always say this, that they kind of took the defense out of the game and they kind of added rules for the offense to be even better. And that's what you kind of see in today's game. Um, If you're a defensive person, you probably like the games more in the 90s than what you're doing in the current today. But if you're an offensive player, this would be an offensive player dream as the player in these days because you can't really do much hand touching or anything. So you, if you got a great jump shot, you have a great chance to play. Mm-hmm. So, how would Sean Kemp in his prime, Rain Man Sean Kemp, play in in, in today's game? How would he do? Very well because I could <laughs> dribble the basketball and I could also shoot the basketball. Right, run the court. It would be. I think I would do very well. Um, you don't see very many guys down there on the block these days with great footwork. And a lot of these guys just don't have that physical aspect. So I think I would do very good um, just to be able to control the boards, uh, to control the paint inside on the defensive end, but definitely be able to push the ball up court and uh, and get the ball to the shooter. So in today's game, you would probably see me probably have more assist than what I would rebound or points, I would think. Mm. Now I got a uh, a quick game for you, man. Like I like I mentioned, you were drafted seventeen of uh, pick in in nineteen eighty nine draft. Um, I only know because I had the list in front of me, but I want to see if you have any idea who was drafted ahead of you that night. Five of them were all stars. That's the only that's the only clue I'm, I'm gonna give you. <laughs> I'm gonna well the guy that was probably drafted in front of me. I, I want to say B J Armstrong. Uh, let me see. BJ. I got a whole bunch of people ahead of you, bro. <laughs> yeah, it was 16 of them. And, um, I want to No, wanna, you know what? Was, B, maybe, BJ was after you. BJ was the, was 18. BJ was what after me. So you have, do you have any idea who was selected ahead of you? No, I don't. I don't know who was selected right in front of me. All right, so I'm going to give you... Danny Ferry, Sean Elliott, Purvis Ellison, Glenn Rice, J.R. Reed, Stacey King, George McLeod, Randy White, Pooh Richardson, Nick Anderson, Mookie Blaylock, Michael Smith, Tim Hardaway, Dana Barrows. Could have been Stacey King. I think he won the top ten. I'm going to say Dana Barrows. Dana Barros was right before you, and those guys I mentioned were all ahead of you yeah. that night. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. So uh, Dana Barros is a great guy, man. Um, we spent a lot of time our rookie season. I was had still had milk on my lips when I came here. So me and Dana was able to be have a great relationship. Right. And uh, he was one of the guys also that taught me just a good work ethic, man. Just to. And he was a shooter, and I was a big man, so I used to go into the gym every day with him and try to outshoot him, and I, that's how I developed my jump shot. 
Oh, so we, so we can thank Dana Barrows for that, right? <laughs> no doubt about it, man, because I was, I was shooting rocks at that rim until that first year, and then all of a sudden me and him were going to that gym on a daily basis, and mm-hmm. then it became much easier for me. Now, for those that don't know, um, Kevin Calabro, a TV announcer for the Sonics back in the days, um, which I'm a big fan of, he he gave you the, the, the Rain Man nickname. Um, I mean, we can all thank Kevin for that. Um, what did you make of the Rain Man nickname? Did you like it? Did you love it? Or did it take a while for you, know, for you to get used to it? No, because I was, uh, I, and I'll tell you this real quick. They were trying to come up with a nickname, and the night before, they came up with the reindeer. And then I was like, no. I, and I was, like, <laughs> I was telling them that, oh, I absolutely hate it. I hate it. No reindeer. And then the next day, I went, I went to do a, uh, a uh, poster shoot. Kevin Calabro said, I got a great name for you. How do you like the rain, man? And I said, man, I love it. Let's do it. So we could have been calling oh. you Reindeer all these years. <laughs> oh, no, man. I can't terrible. do that. That terrible. You know, so, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you this, Randy, like to be able to play the game, to have fun with it, um, you know, there in New York is kind of really where I made my, my first statement to the NBA. That's kind of, I always say that's kind of where I introduced myself to the NBA uh, was there in New York at Madison Square Garden. That's where I had my first big dunk. Okay. And, uh, so it was, you know, I, I owe a lot to the fans there in New York, um, just for always being Sean Kemp fans and coming out and watching me at some of those games and stuff. But to have a the plan to get that game and then also have a nickname is a big thing, I think, when you're a young man. Those are the things that can, can motivate a young man to do a lot of positive things, and I think that's what happened with myself. Mm-hmm. Sidebar, w- w- would you say MSG was your favorite arena to play in aside from Seattle? Definitely. No doubt about it. I love playing in Madison Square Garden. The uh, the fans are so real because when you do great, they cheer. Right. And when you don't, they're going to let you know. And that's that's about as that's how it should be. And, uh, you know, and as an athlete, I just, I just love that. I think, um, you know, you, you, it's not about – the famous people coming to the game. It's just about the real fans being able to know that somebody can get on the court and do something exciting. And I think the fans there in New York let players know that better than anybody. When you when you got used to the Rain Man nickname, did did it build your confidence on the court? Because now um, it might have added some fear factor to people that that were guarding you because everyone knew you're the Rain Man now. Yeah, I think it just kind of went along, and 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 I'll tell you this: I think you know when you're able to play the game and create an identity behind yourself, it can it's something that can last a lifetime. So, um, you know, I was able to, to, you know, become the Rain Man and 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 do some things and back in the day and like come out with a bottle of water called the Rain Man and. Those are the things I think that that just motivated me to want to be even better on the court because, you know, when you do well, you get things and they have, good things happen to you. So uh, as a young man, you just got to keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself, and see how well that you can do on the court, off the court, because you want to maximize your potential and your uh, likeliness. Now, you know, me as a fan growing up, uh, you know, watching you, the Sonics in your prom, I was, I would say, 
10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range. And I used to watch you guys all the time. I, I grew up a Chicago Bull fan. I think everybody at that time was, you know, a, a Chicago Bull fan. And people would tell me, you know, how can you live in New York and be a Bull fan? And, and I'm like, listen, as long as you got Michael and Scotty on that team, I'm like, that's, that, right. that's, that's the right. team I'm, I'm going to root for. So, yeah, but, I mean, you know, and, well, I'll tell you this. Like, I grew up in Indiana on the right, on the outside of Chicago. Mm. I'm I was closer to Chicago than what I was in Indianapolis, so I got a chance to watch Michael Jordan play when I was in high school. Right. I got a chance to watch Scotty play when I was in high school. I actually went to the dunk contest that was between Michael and Dominique there in Chicago, and I also saw the one that was in Indianapolis. So, you know, I, I sat back for years and kind of watched these guys, and I have a lot of respect for them. I really do, but once we got on the court, all respect flew out the door. I was really one of those guys to try to challenge them guys to the to the utmost, simply because I knew how good they were. And when somebody's that good, it puts a little fear in you, so you just try that harder. Now, you know, aside from me being a, a Chicago Bull fan, two teams I, I love to watch was you guys with the Sonics and, and, and Golden State with Mitch Richmond, Chris Mullins, Tim Hardaway, right. Run TMC. Um, but I think you guys was one of the most entertaining teams out there um, if not the number one team in the league. Um, describe the crowd you played in front of year in and year out in Seattle for the home games. Oh, man, it was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I, and I say this, you know, when I when I got to Seattle, they were the second-worst team in merchandise sale in the NBA. And then after my first year, uh, it, it was a pretty decent year. But the second year is where we really made a lot of noise is because that's when we bring in Gary Payton. So I'll, I had somebody to really run with me, to get up and down the court, not just to play the game, but also to express himself on the court. So me and Gary, we bled the same blood. And when you have that, it's just a chemistry thing. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. We were able to get a lot of people in the seats when we played here in Seattle. When we went the road, it was just the same. People wanted to see the alley-oops. They wanted to see the dunks. They wanted to see Gary talking trash. And, I mean, those are the things that you, you live for as an athlete, right? You want to you wanna be able to play the game at a high level, but you also want to entertain people. And that's why I play, man. I, I enjoy playing the game of basketball, but I enjoy more entertaining people. And uh, to me, it was a lot of fun to be able to do that across the country. How great was it playing with, with Gary Payton? You know, you know, arguably, he's one of the greatest point guards ever in NBA history. What was that dynamic like playing with him for so long? It was beautiful. Like I said, it's the chemistry thing, man. You know, a lot of us play sports. And, uh, we, you know, it's, it's just the chemistry thing. And when you can get a, get get with a person that you can really go and challenge yourself with, and you know, if you can yell at a person and he can yell at you, and, but you don't take it in the wrong way, you accept that as a as a challenge to just get better. Um, it just makes you a better person, man, inside and outside. Me and Gary are still good friends. Right. Um, you know, we still we still communicate. We still do stuff with each other. But I still love him to death and uh, like a brother. And, and I mean, that's what it's all about is to be able to go through that experience, but also make it a lifelong experience. And I think we've been able to do that. You played with so many great Sonic players, Gary Payton, um, you know, Delef Shrimp, Sam Perkins, Michael Cage, Ricky Pierce, Kendall Gill. We can go on and on. Was there was there a favorite Sonics team you played on? Well, I think, I think um, when I played on a team with Eddie Johnson, I played on a team with Ricky Pierce. 
I played on a team with Dave Corzine, and these guys was much older than me. But, you know, uh, I, I learned so much from these guys just as on the, off the court as I did on the court. And um, I have to thank them a lot. When I see them, I always thank them because they they made sure that I got the message of being able to make this a lifelong thing and not just a deal where I was playing for 10 or 15 years in the NBA. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times us athletes don't realize that. We receive fame so fast and so quick that right. we don't take the time out to be able to make this a lifelong thing. These guys explained to me to be able to help me create identity for myself you know, educated me on a lot of different things so I could be prosperous, man. And I would say that the years that I played with um, uh, Ricky Pierce and Eddie Johnson, man, I, those are years that are priceless for me because I learned so much off the court as I, as I did on the court. And and that's that's what I remember a lot, man. You know, I remember these guys sent me those little messages letting me know to save that money to – you know, to make sure I got to practice an hour early to work on my jump shot, even though I just, even though I just scored thirty the night before, still go to the gym and get you another two or three hundred jump shots up before practice starts. So, I think right. those are the reasons why I became a six-time All-Star because I played with some great guys that gave me the leadership to become who I was. Now, I I, I ask you that because there are some people out there that can, you know, make the argument that when it comes to you and the favorite teams of the Sonics. 94 and 96 always have us to come up for it. 96, you made the finals, but 94, uh, you were the first seed in, in the Western Conference. You won 63 games in 94 and 60, yeah. 64, 96. So, so it was like 94 or 96, which was the better team? 94 or? was the best team. You said 94? 94 was the better team. And, uh, 94, 94 was the team that when I, I believe that's the year that Denver, Denver upset us. Yeah. Yeah. In 94, what people have to realize, in 94, 93 and 94, the Houston Rockets never beat us. We was uh, we were 8-0 against them in a two-year span. Mm-hmm. So we um, all we had to do is to get to the semi, the, to the conference finals. And I think us as a team, we kind of overlooked that spot against Denver, them being a low-seeded team. So, you know, it's true what they say, man. You you, you play the game to the end. Right. You know, it's just true. And I think the 94 year, and the reason that I say that, because 94 was the year, I believe it was the first year that Michael Jordan retired. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the best year to win the championship. So now, you know, just to kind of be funny here, when when NBA TV or ESPN Classic shows Game Five, you guys Denver '94, how quick do you change the channel? <laughs> a lot, man. I do. Like, like I, you know what? I, and I'll tell you this: it's so funny because I these days they got social media, so sometimes I'll get calls and stuff, and people say, oh, "I saw Matambo raising that finger," and I say, "Yeah, yeah." It just brings back a lot of pain, but it's it's still fun to watch those games. Um, you know, I, like even though they beat us, man, I, I enjoy like going against uh, Matabo. He's a seven footer, and as people know, I just usually love to dunk on seven footers. That mm-hmm. just excited me. So I I love playing against Matabo. So now, if I had to ask you, you know, they have this thing called fantasy basketball nowadays, and they, you know, people can pick who they like and who they want on their team. But if I said Sean Kemp, you got to pick your own fantasy Seattle Sonic team. 
your own five, including you, who are the other four Sonic players you go with? I mean, outside of you and Gary Payton, I, I would uh, I would think. Yeah, who, definitely would be me and Gary Payton. But if I had to go through the history of the Sonics, man, no doubt about it, I would take um, I would take uh, my man uh, Jack Sigma, <laughs> without a doubt, and um, and I, I would also. Uh, I would also have uh, Sam Perkins, man, because he was always just in the right position at the right time. Right. And uh, and uh, downtown Freddie Brown, man, that's just that's just major history around here. You, you can't beat that. Mm-hmm. Sean Kemp, you made the your first All Star game back in in 1993 up in Utah. Uh, Six time All Star. You started from '94 to '98 with Seattle and Cleveland. How were those All Star game uh, appearances? And what was the feeling you got when the fans, for four straight years or five straight years, um, voted you Six in? Six straight years as a starter. How, how many? Six straight years. Oh wow! So again, so the yeah, fans, the fans voted you in. What was that feeling like when yeah. the fans across the world voted you in? Yeah, I mean it was tough because when you know at that time to to get people, people don't realize that in order for me to get in that position, that means I I had to outplay. Carmelo and Dennis Rodman every year. Those are both Hall of Fame players. And I took that job six straight years. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, when I think about the game and, and some of my accomplishments that I did, I didn't win the championship. We came very close. Uh-huh. But, you know, I definitely was able to accomplish some things. And, and that's what that's what's most important. If you can walk away from the game knowing that you gave it your hardest, man, you can live with it. I gotta ask you, man. Who who was the toughest power forward you had to go up against night in night out during your playing days? And um, some some players overall who were good or really good back then, but maybe did not get as much spotlight as they should have. Well, I'm gonna tell you, man. It was only one guy in my whole career that made me circle him on the calendar. That was <laughs> Buck Williams. Okay. You hear me? And Buck Williams is one of the strongest men that ever walked this planet when he played in the NBA. A lot of people may not know that. He's, I mean, he, he was a heck of a offensive player, but his defensively, he, I mean, man, it was, it was a tough deal to get, get, get used to playing against Buck Williams. Man, he's a very strong, very physical guy, very technically sound, and I have a lot of respect for him. So, you know, to me as a fan, I, you know, Buck Williams – Answer would surprise me. I, you know me. I would think Carl Malone, Barkley, McKay, all them guys. I, but um, offensive players, they're right. all offensive players. Mm. So you, 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 you know, and um, a lot of those guys were short compared to me. They didn't. Right. They never really bothered me. Carl Malone was shorter than me. Dennis Rodman was much shorter than me. And when I played against those guys, they didn't guard me. Carl Malone wouldn't guard me. And so, uh, yeah, Buck Williams, without a doubt, man. Like my first four or five years, mm. I used to regret. I, I hated playing against him, and he was playing in Portland at the time, so I saw him a lot. So um, it really made me change up my game, made me more of a physical player, and and also I think that's when X came in and really helped me out too to make me a little bit more physical, to work with my footwork, give me a little more balance out there in the post areas and stuff like that. But yeah, it's only one guy that really bothered me, man. That I would circle my calendar my whole career, and that would be Buck Williams. He he brought it. You know, and he maybe not scored twenty or thirty points, but when he stepped on that court, he was real about his game. 
So now you had Buck Williams circled on your calendar. So now I want to ask you, was there a team you had circled on your calendar every year that you could not wait to play against? Yeah, it was, man. It was just, um, it was, uh, it was, it was been Utah. I just think that just the, the, just the, the comparison always just to, to make sure my game was just as good as Carmelo. So I, um, I always kept an eye on Carmelo and what he was doing. Um, the communication with him and him and Stockton, what they had on the court, uh, you know, in order for me and Gary to have any success in the playoffs, that was the team that we were going to have to beat, and that wasn't an easy wasn't an easy thing. So, the first couple years when we went against uh, Stockton and Malone, um, it wasn't pretty, but we were able to uh, learn real quick, and we learned a lot from them. I know Gary respects the left side of. Uh, John Stockton, and I definitely respect Carmelo. Don't get it wrong, mm. but um, yeah, Buck Williams was definitely, when I say a fierce competitor on the defensive end, um, even when he fouled you, you know you felt it. You made Dream Team two in uh, 1994. What was that feeling like playing with these guys? And deep down, do you feel like Dream Team two is better than 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 Dream Team one? And do you feel like Dream Team two gets overshadowed by Dream Team one? Well, at this at this point in time of dream team of the dream team, um, me and me and Shaquille O'Neal was the MVPs off the dream team too mm-hmm. in the World Games, and and I'll say this: um, there's no way that Dream Team One was going to be able to handle Sean Kemp and Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> in their prime. That's just, I mean, it doesn't matter if who they had out there, mm-hmm. it have been Magic or Michael or. I mean, Larry Bird. Just, I mean, and I think that's what people tend to forget. It was just no, it was no way that you were going to handle two thoroughbred horses running the court like that at, mm-hmm. at one time. It's, that's an impossible thing. And then to have the backing of uh, Derek Coleman, Larry Johnson, and Dominique behind you, it's just, um, I just, I, I can't see them beating us. Now, I I did ask that because I think a few years ago, you know, Shaq he does that open court show on on NBA TV and. I think they had a conversation. I think the convo was really about was a uh, 2012 team better than 1992. And Shaq is like, hey, listen, you know, Dream Team 2 could beat Dream Team 1. And everybody around there was kind of like laughing or or kind of making remarks. And Shaq was dead serious, Sean. He was like, Dream Team 2 could yeah, beat Dream Team yeah, 1. Yeah, seriously. I mean, there's no, and, and, I, and I know people sometimes they'll shake their head, but at this time, we were all in our prime. That's Larry Johnson, Derek Coleman, right. Sean Kemp, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but we're, you're not going to be able to do anything inside that paint area. It's just it's not going to work. So you would have to be the most deadliest shooting team outside of the paint in order to beat that team. And that, I think that's what, what you know, people just don't look at it that way. But right. you all in our prime at the time, very tough, very physical very, very physical, and all of us was running the court really, really well at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, when, when I played with those guys that year, it really gave me a lot of confidence to really to go around the league because be able to go in the gym and play with them guys and then walk out as one of the MVPs in the world game, it only gives you confidence as a, as a player. Now, did, did any of those teammates you play with, uh, like you had a thought that, they were good during the regular season, but when you got to uh, to Dream Team Two, they they were better than what you thought they were. Absolutely, Kevin Johnson, um, Mark Price, 
Yeah. And I, I, I just, I didn't know. Because, I, you know, we only played those teams twice a year. So I didn't get much time to play against them. And then when I got a chance to practice with them, I was just amazed. Reggie Miller, like I used to thought Reggie Miller was a little soft, a little frail. Uh, after we went to the Dream Team, too, I have nothing but respect and love for Reggie Miller because fierce competitor, just a fierce competitor, man. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I did have much much more respect after we went through that uh, to see how these guys operate and how much time they put into it also. It just made me raise my, my level up a little bit more and even, even want to practice a little harder. Mm. Now, that happened in, in 1994, and I think some people might notice, but there was this little trade rumor going around, 94 draft, draft night. You might know of it, but um, there was a potential deal of having you and Ricky Pierce going to Chicago for Scottie Pippen. Um, one, yeah. did, did you hear? Uh, obviously, you heard about that, too. Um, were you a fan of that possibility of going to Chicago? And did it bring you any intrigue that you might be playing for the Bulls if it went down? No, because going to Chicago was like going home for me, and I didn't want to go home. Mm. And I did. I did want to play. I didn't want to play at this time. I didn't want to play with Michael Jordan, man. I wanted to play against him. You know, I wanted. I just wanted to play against him. And the trade was actually made to let you know that trade. I was actually with the Dream Team too, and they actually did make that trade. But the the fans in Seattle complained so much that they ended up reneging the trade like six hours later. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, so the trade was actually it was actually made, and then there was so much complaints and stuff that was going on. They actually called back and said, "No, they're not going to do it." <laughs> hey, I know the fans had that, had that much pull, man. Like, listen, we don't yeah, want Sean to go. When you feel that type of support, man, you want to you want to go back to the city when you feel that type of support. That's love right there, man. I, I had no idea the fans was like, listen, we don't want Sean to go. Sean's our guy. And, yeah, I mean, they, they would have got Scottie Pippen, but, you know, I guess when they have GP and, and people like you, um, they just don't want, they don't want you to go, man. You're right. No, it was. I think, um, like I said, I've always had a good relationship with the fans here in Seattle, with the, just in the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I learned a lot of that from the NBA, also with the Sonics. Was uh, was a was a true education when I first came into the game, not just to play this game, but also to be able to to go back and give back. And so, um, you know, a lot of us a lot of us players do that, um, but I've been able to do it since I've started. Um, so, I, you know, to me, this this area here, man, I, I kind of grew up in this area in Seattle. Um, just a lot of respect. I learned a lot of stuff business wise dealing with these people and. Uh, I mean, it's just been it's been fun, man, dealing with the, the interaction of the fans. Even watching like the Seahawks be successful the last few years brings mm. back memories of when the Sonics were successful ten or fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. So it's um, you know, it's definitely a fun fun city in sports. Sidebar, man. Uh, listen, yeah. I, I've always been a Seattle SuperSonics fan. Um, I love the color of the, of the logos. I love the logo, man. It just I love the the arenas. I gotta ask you, Sean, man, like. Are we ever going to see a team in Seattle again? And and my thing is, if not, or not right now, what is taking so long to have a, an NBA team back in Seattle? Well, in, in all honesty, and I mean this when I say this, um, I've been in discussion with these people for years now, seeing what was going on. I actually think that 
you know, the NBA kind of holds those cards into that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's so many basketball teams now, and the thing of it is now, Randy, business-wise, the NBA don't want to see any other teams leave their city. So that's where the, the problem becomes is that they don't want to see another city like suffer like Seattle has. Right. I think, uh, unfor- you know, unfortunately, we kind of like the scapegoat of, of this happening to us once. Now they don't want to see it happen to another city. So we have to be patient, and, and I think the, the city will get another team once they expand, but we're going to have to get an expansion team. It won't be a team that we go out and purchase and they move cities because that's another city that's suffering as we have been suffering for the last few years. So, you know, it's just about being patient, man. It's about being patient business-wise. Uh, I think positive things will happen. And the day that the NBA want to announce that they want to expand, they have to probably expand two cities. They can't do one one team. So the day that they want to expand two cities, I'm, I'm hoping that Seattle is going to be one of those expansion cities. So what was going through your mind when – you know, you heard of Seattle was going to be moving on, and then they end up in Oklahoma City. Well, I mean, it was unfortunate. I just think that the uh, the fans around here they kind of got they kind of got blindsided a little bit because you know um, it was a, it was kind of an inside deal where these guys were negotiating a deal with a uh, with a city with arena. See, Oklahoma, the, the benefit of Oklahoma receiving a team is that they already had a brand new arena there nobody was using. Right. So that was kind of, that's kind of the reason why they, they were able to take advantage of that situation. But, you know, it's, it's always, a, it's business-wise, I think when the, when you see America suffering uh, financially, when the depression comes in, a lot of times this stuff will happen where maybe a city will lose a team so I don't anticipate any big depressions coming anytime soon. So I don't anticipate any of these teams really losing a city um, or losing a, a franchise out here in, in any sports. I just don't, I don't. I don't see business-wise how that makes sense to any of these franchises anymore to uh, take one city and move them to a different location. So, like I said, this was a Seattle was kind of like a just a, just. And just a front page person that took the heat for this, and now you probably won't see that anytime soon. Anybody switching from city to city, I just uh, I think business wise it doesn't make sense, and it only it only makes fans upset. It's not a good look in the headline news of of people reading about this this city losing money or whatever, changing going to another city. Mm-hmm. So I think the NBA is real careful by uh, protecting these these teams now and even helping some of these teams. Uh, be successful um, financially than letting them be come to a loss. Well, hopefully, man, I, you know, one day down the road, they wake up and they realize that the city of Seattle needs an uh-huh. NBA franchise. Uh, I I never been there, so I wouldn't know, but I just know it's a great city just by watching on TV and stuff like that. So hopefully one day down the road, we finally get a team up there. Yeah, I think it will. I just, I think it's about being patient, man. I, I really do. And um, you know, the NBA is very strong, and their name is strong. Um, you know, their logo is strong, and you know, I always tell people it wouldn't make sense for them to let a team leave a city and then six years later put a city, a team right back in that city. So, you know, the only thing that I can say to Seattle is that the next time that we do get a city, let's just make sure that the team stays here. Do whatever it takes for that team to stay here and not leave. 
every every time there's the uh, the All Star game, you know, they NBA TV they do these slam dunk contest recaps every half hour from previous years, and you know, there'll be times I sit back, you know, I was a fan, like I always say, I've always been a fan of Sean Kemp, and you know, I was highly upset that you did not win. A slam dunk contest. I mean, it's not like you didn't try. You tried. You you dunked your ass off on in those contests. But I sit back. I'm like Sean Kemp competed in four slam dunk contests. He's probably the best dunker in the NBA, and he didn't win one contest. And I'm like, like, what the fuck, yeah, man? But, yeah, I mean, I'll let you on the inside, like, I'll let you on the inside secret, man. Like, I never. It was never like a goal of mine to win the dunk contest. Mm. It was only a goal of mine to go there to the dunk contest and show them how hard I could dunk the basketball. I just wanted them to realize that a big man could still have the bounce and dunk the basketball extra hard Mm. and athletic ability. Because at that time, if you remember, it was kind of about the short guy winning these titles. And then they started coming out with the gadgets and these guys peaked them, but they really (laughs) wasn't looking and all of that stuff. Blindfold that they could see through, but they really couldn't see through. So it was like, you know, it was a lot of gadget stuff going on. And I realized that at the time. So I used to tell myself, just go out here and dunk the basketball as hard as possible. People will know who you are. Yeah, I look back and I see Dominique, D. Brown, Sabalos, and, and J.R. Ryder winning the contest um, before you. And I'm like, yeah. come on, man. Sean Kemp should have had at least two of these joints. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the same way, man. I, and I, you know, it's so funny. Um, my last year that I played, I was down in Orlando. And, uh, and I'll tell you a funny story. One morning I was driving to practice and D. Brown lived in my neighborhood. So him and his son was out in the yard, and he was out there posing in the grass with his trophy. (laughs) 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 Oh, oh, man, I thought it was very funny. So it was, um, no, it was, like I said, but I I enjoyed doing it. I, um, like I said, I kept going back because I wanted a little bit more. They kept telling me, no, the big man can't win. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try another year. I'll try another year. Mm. And, uh, you know, I came close, but I didn't pull it off. But, you know, as a fan like me back in that time, you know, we appreciated people like you being not only in one, two, three, but four slam dunk contests. You you always look forward to, to that event. And, you know, the players nowadays, they're, they're not competing in the slam dunk contest uh, than, than before. You, as a, as a powerful dunker, um, I want to know your thoughts on the current slam dunk contest not being what it once was back in the days and why why players don't do it or don't want to do it the same way people like you, Michael, Dominique, even right. Vince Carter. Why is that? Well, be, well because, and I'll explain this to you really fast, like, simply because of, I mean, these guys, first of all, they make a whole lot of money and they don't understand that that, that – that chemistry between you and the fans, when the fans know that you love them, mm. that you're willing to do a little something extra for them, man, they come out to see you and they support you even more. They'll buy more of your shoes. They'll be even more supportive of you. So when the fans know that you're going to go to the dunk contest and dunk year after year after year, they got something to look forward to. That's why I did it, because I'm a fan of the sport, too, and I want to see the best out there. But I just think um, nowadays you, you see these guys, they they make a lot of money, and... They don't have to take as many chances as we did. But, man, I think they don't realize the chemistry that they can have with the fans even be more love for them as a player. And it can be 
that you really going to get out there on the court and mm. give them a little something extra, they support you. I mean that, man. They, they really support you. And um, I think that's kind of what's missing from today's game is that sometimes uh, the players and the fans don't have that interaction like they used to. Uh, they, you know, and, and you can never you can never go without having some interaction with the fans because that's just paying your checks. I told I told one of my friends I was gonna have you on. I, I kept it real quiet, um, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna have Sean Kemp on the show," and he's a big sneaker, uh, big sneaker guy, and everything. So he was like, "Yo, you gotta ask him about the kamikazes," and I was like, "All right, I'll, oh, I'll yeah. do it." <laughs> so, in in '94-'95, Reebok they they give you your own sneaker known as the kamikaze um and there was a big frenzy for it me i wasn't a big sneaker guy back in the days but now i'm like i those sneakers look familiar why because sean kemp had them on um what did you think of the the sneaker reebok made for you well it took a while and what a lot of people don't know that, that i mean i came out with six six shoes for reebok in total of my own signature shoes and when I've been working with them for over 20 years, but the thing about it was like the first four shoes that I came up with, because this at the time I was like this, Randy, when I come out with a shoe, I want people to remember this shoe 30 years from now. So right, the first right. four shoes that we came out with, the NBA rejected. <laughs> they were like, you oh, know, that's too much. That's just really? way too much. Why? Too much. I, you know, at this time, they were just like, that's just too much. We don't want that shoe. We don't want you wearing that shoe on the court. And so we went back, and Reebok switched it up a little bit. And so finally, man, we we finally got that kamikaze done, and they were like, yeah, we'll accept it. We'll let you wear this one. So, um, you know, it's amazing to me that we were able to do that, and, and the shoe is still popular. Uh, I think we we just coming out with three pairs for this winter, three different colorways for this winter again. So... You know, it's definitely, um, it's kept me busy. Um, I mean, I love Reebok and Adidas for, for supporting me still. And, um, and it's just, it's fun. Like I said, it's, it's been fun to still have that communication with the fans also. Hey, I, I've never owned a pair of Kamikazes. If, if, if you got new ones coming out, I need a pair, man. <laughs> All right, no doubt about it. I tell you what, when you, um, you text me, you text me your address, and I got, I got a pair that just come out, they look like Timberlands. You'll love them. All right. You'll love them. Now, right, I'll get them to you. Did you did you think that your sneakers were going to be as popular then and now? I was hoping so, but I didn't know for sure. Like it's one of those things that you're hoping so, and then you don't quite know for sure. And um, we sold a lot of them, though. When I came out with this shoe, it was a mm -hmm. very popular shoe. Even overseas, we sold a lot of shoes. So it was like maybe this shoe will be popular in the future. And then Reebok was like, "We're gonna wait for a few years, and we're gonna we're gonna showcase this shoe even later." So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm really surprised that it's still that popular. I mean, I you know I drive down the street almost a daily basis, and I see them flashing around here. So it's just like I said, it's just fun. It puts a smile on my face, and you know, it, and as I told you before, to go from high school to pro at the time that I did, guys wasn't doing that. Uh, the only guy that done that before I did was Bill Willoughby and Moses Malone, and I believe both of those guys played in the ABA a little bit. You know, I was able to go from high school to pro, no college experience, no amateur basketball experience. So, man, it took a lot of time just to catch up drill-wise and time-wise to these guys that was in North Carolina and Arkansas and all these schools for four years. And 
like when I look back now and I see people wearing those shoes, it just makes me smile because I said, man, you know, that, the hard work paid off for something. So you know, that's what makes the game fun. So your your Kamikaze Two became the like the most popular shoe that that, that you came out with. But I also like the one. So I'm gonna ask the guy himself, Sean Kemp. Do you would you rather wear the Kamikaze One or the Kamikaze Two? I like the ones. <laughs> okay. I like the ones, but I do wear the twos. I had the twos on yesterday, but I normally wear. I still wear the first ones. You know, because they, um, and those are the ones I think we sold more of. And, uh, but people like them both, but I like the first ones, man. It's just, a, like I said, it's just a statement, originality. And at this time, you know, guys wasn't trying to take chances on shoe designs. They were pretty basic at the time, just putting their names on it, the uh, company's logo on it. But I was, at the time, I was trying to tell them, man, let's come up with some wacky design with 20 or 30 years from now, people still love. Right. And uh, so it was, to me, it's fun, man. Just to even go through that experience and Reebok helped me out with that and do that for me. It was, you know, it's a big thing. As I said before, you can get a nickname in the league and then all of a sudden you get a shoe name after you. I mean, those are, those are powerful things to a young man. And like I said, it just makes you work hard, man. And, and, and that's what it's about. I mean, that, you know, I know a lot of that stuff goes for granted these days and, you know, it probably comes with the territory, but, uh, you know, if you can still sell shoes when you're like 45, 46 years old, you know that you, your game had to be pretty strong. Exactly. Um, I got a few more before I let you go, Sean. Um, I I always said that people like Amari Stoudemire and Blake Griffin reminded me of a younger Sean Kemp. Uh, both, I mean, all three of you are athletic, um, dunk powerful, can shoot the basketball, um, very entertaining do they remind you of yourself? And if not, who does? Well, they do. I, I like. I love Blake Griffin's game. I think. I think he's become a fabulous player. Um, seriously, and I mean that he, he's able to shoot the ball from the outside. You know, run the court, get his dunks. But I, he doesn't have the size to really play on that post up kind of like I did. Um, uh, so it, that that eliminates that makes him shoot a little more jump outside shots and you know the, the thing about it Randy is that these guys don't realize is how physical the game used to be. Right. Go so right. and play against Patrick Ewing, the play against Charles Oakley, the play against Herb Williams. That was brutal. That was some brutal stuff. So they a lot of these guys resort to the jump shot when if you have the proper footwork, you can always get to the basket to get a dunk or layup or assist or something. So. Uh, I like both of the players. I like Amari. Um, I definitely liked him when he was younger. He reminded me a lot of myself. But um, the guy that, that reminds me a lot of myself is, is really LeBron because he runs the court. The way that he runs the court, moves around, I just think that he's a better ball handler than what I was when I played. Okay. Um... Yeah, yeah. But a little smaller than me, but definitely a better ball handler than what I was. Mm-hmm. So... Who are some guys currently playing, um, I guess, uh, aside from LeBron, that you tune in, you know, night in, night out, that, that, that you're a fan of? Well, my favorite player right now in the NBA is Jimmy Butler. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, just, I actually just watched him play tonight, you know, so I don't, I don't miss too many of his games. I like his work ethic, bro. You know, I mean, it's what I say that he, he puts it out, so... 
even even when he scores 17, 18 points, you can see the determination in him. He's, he's relentless. So I definitely I like Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, I like a lot of the new guys. I I definitely I even like the new kid from Duke from Philadelphia, Okafor. Okay. I like him a lot too. You know, I think he needs some direction and stuff, but. I, I like his game a lot, bro. I like his game. I think he has the, the you know, he, he got some great footwork. He got to get a little stronger, but definitely the kid can definitely play. Mm-hmm. The big story nowadays, Sean, is you know Golden State. They're they're twenty three and zero. They've won twenty seven in a row, going back to last year. That they're, you know, they're on that pace to break Chicago seventy two and ten record from ninety six. You played against that team in the finals. Um, do you? Like when when people try to make the comparison, are if, are the Warriors better currently or going to be better than 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 nineteen ninety six Chicago Bulls? Are you more like listen, man? Chicago got this down pack. They they they're the greatest team ever, uh, because you played against them. Or are you still holding out hope that Golden State can can eventually be better than Chicago that year? Oh, uh, I, I, I I think. Golden State is a very good team. They're having a lot of a lot of success right now. Um, but the thing about it that people don't realize is that it's early in the year, mm-hmm. and San Antonio San Antonio is only four games behind <laughs> Golden State. Yeah, they're eighteen so, and four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I. I I look at that, and I say sometimes we look at the person in front, but if if anything, I'm more impressed with the San Antonio Spurs because, I mean, they're only four games right behind Golden State, and I think that's that's a heck of an accomplishment itself. But, um, you know, it's a team that's going to be able to control their three-pointers because Golden State is just so athletic now. They have so many shooters, they can stretch the floor. They don't really necessarily have a true big man, so they kind of stretch the floor. And you got to kind of, you got to have good defense. It's a defense that, that, that you have to have against Golden State more so than offense. Mm. What's your take on, you know, Kobe Bryant, his final year in the NBA? You played against him a couple of years. Uh, he played, yeah, he's played well, 20 years with the Lakers, so what's your take on that? Well, you know, I just I think the world of Kobe. You know, I had a chance to, to speak to him last year a little bit uh, in the summertime. You know, I, I think he did great for his name. He did great for basketball. And you know, as all of us know, when you when you play the game for so long, um, you know when you want to leave, man. You know when you want to step off that court when your body has had enough. Um, you absolutely know. So I think at this time, I mean, I'm happy that he was able to make the decision under his own didn't say that an injury say maybe an injury happening and he happened to be forced not to play the game of basketball or something so um you know the guy's accomplished everything in the game he's um he's a he's a trademark for what a youngster really want to become these days on the basketball court so uh i just like i said i think the world of him has worked ethic and you know, I think he's tired, man. I think he's tired of pushing himself on a daily basis on the practice time. Because the thing about Kobe is they see his game, they see his jump shot, they see him smiling and winning and stuff. But mm-hmm. people don't realize how much work that he put behind closed doors Absolutely. to become that person. So I, that's what I have a lot of respect for him. I know his dad very well. And, um, you know, seriously, he's just, he's just like Michael Jordan, one of the hardest workers that you'll ever see. So uh, a lot of respect to him. 
for the for the young fans, the, the the young generation of fans who may have never seen you play or may have never heard a show on camp and just say, listen, I wanna I wanna go to YouTube and just watch a a Sean Kemp game. Um which one would you have them watch and is there um a greatest Sean Kemp game that you have? No, I mean just all of them. I would say just watch if if to anybody that just to tell them to go watch Sean Kemp's top one hundred dunks and see <laughs> the type of effort and the type of relationship that I not just had on the court but also with the fans. Right. You know, and that's why that's why I was one of the most popular players is because I mean and truly man, you you, you gotta have a lot of love for these fans in order to go out there and put that effort and make give them something that they want to see. So the fans is who, who made me. You know, that's who made me want to go to the arena every night and dunk and swing off the rim. Mm. And, um, you know, that's who I respect the most. I respect a lot of the guys on the court. I respect those fans for definitely pushing me to new limits, um, challenging me to do more and more stuff. And uh, so I tried to do that for years, man, just to, to give them something to entertain them, to watch Sports Center, to, uh, to enjoy the game of basketball. So... Um, you know, it wasn't a lot of people say it was showing off. It wasn't necessarily to show off or any of those things. It's just about hard work, determination, going out there, having fun. And, and as they say, man, you, you leave it on the court. And that's what we tried to do, you know, with all the guys that I play with. Gary, definitely. We just was able to go, not just here in Seattle, but we were able to go on the road and, and play just as well. And, uh, I mean, those are, those are the things that I remember the most, like, you know, because the coach would say, man, you guys are averaging 20 at home, but you're averaging 10 on the road. So we was like, man, you know what? We got to average 25 on the road. So that's what we did. So it's like we got to push our, push each other to new heights and let these people know that we're not just, you know, having fun here in Seattle. But we want to go on the road and do the same thing. We mm. want that respect. Hey, man, you had a lot of dunks, man, I've seen from YouTube and just watching it live. Um, people call you and Gary Payton the original Lob City than what we have with the Clippers yeah. and Griffin and, and Chris Paul. Um, I mean, it was just great to watch you guys on the court during during those years in the prime. And when they mentioned Sean Kemp dunks, you know, obviously the main dunk they bring up is that Alton Lister dunk from 1992 <laughs> in the playoffs. So, I mean, I can't, I can't end the show without asking you about that because, you know, <laughs> that shit was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, man, but that was it was a great dunk. But I always tell people the best dunk was probably the one I called a rattling gladling when Chris Gallon turned around and shook my hand because you know it's gotta be a heck of a dunk when a guy turns around and gives you some depth. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know what's so funny, Sean? I was gonna ask you about. I was gonna ask you that next because I was like, listen, there also a Chris Gatling dunk. You dunked it on him and. You put your hand out to shake his hand. He shook yours like, "Yo, my man, you got me." <laughs> yeah, and, 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 that's and that's something. That's what I'm saying it was just about respect, man. Like, you got me. Like, you know, ain't nothing I can do about it. You got me. Mm -hmm. There's no celebration. There's nothing. Just mutual respect. And I mean, that's what I miss about the game, man. It's just like I said, I do miss the communication with the players, but more so the fans. But it was just, you know, it was a different time and day where I think um, when we played this game, Randy. People were so excited to watch an NBA game. Like you didn't want to miss an NBA game all right. season at this time, and you know, and it was true what they said at the time. They used to have this commercial to come on TV, and it'd be like the NBA is fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
Now, yeah, that, that, you can't really say that now because you may not see that second effort that those guys are putting out on the court. But when we played that game, it was about doing stuff defensively and offensively, not just scoring points. Now, my my final question to you is: like, do do you ever, um, you know, see yourself working with a team, coaching anything of that realm with the current NBA teams, or you feel like? You know, I, I did my thing in the NBA 14 years. I'm still a fan. I, I watch it every day, and that's just going to be me. No, no, man. We, uh, like, like for years now, I've been here in Seattle. Me and my wife, we, we uh, she runs a, a, a summer league, a pro-am league, where I've been able to uh, work out with guys and mm. support guys. All these guys that, that came from Seattle, from Brandon Roy to Jamal Crawford to Nate Robinson. And I've been knowing these guys since they were kids and helping them out and, you know, showing them different things. So, like, um, you know, it, it, like I said, around here, man, it's just about helping each other. So that's what I've tried to do throughout the years. I know those guys' family, even, you know, it. Just a lot of those guys that come from the Seattle area, it's not one of them that I don't know. I haven't spent time with working out with and, you know, showing them something. Just uh, even Isaiah Thomas, which is one of my favorites. I've um, mm. been knowing him since he was young, um, giving him pointers and helping him out the whole time. And uh, just a great kid, man. Just like it's fun for me to sit back and uh, watch a lot of these guys be prosperous when I knew them when they were young. Now, is that the uh, Seattle Pro Am League you're you're referring to? Yeah, well, yeah, well, Seattle Pro Am League is run by Jamal Crawford, but mm-hmm. me and my wife has been running a pro league, and we also run the college league. Now we're in the college division since my boys are going from high school and college, and we help them out in all in both programs in the in the pro league and mm-hmm. in the, the college league, uh, even in the high school league. We're around here helping them out on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, just to support these kids to make sure. You know they have the uh, the right mindset and the uh, the right work that they, to uh, to be pro sponsors. Hey man, you know what? It's a it's a small world because I was um, my my brother and I were trying to uh, make it out there this past summer because we do uh, our own program league here on the East Coast called Hoops in the Sun, and um, you know it, it's sponsored by Nike and Mountain Dew and, and stuff like that. So every time we heard. Uh, heard about the West Coast. It, it, it was always Seattle Pro Am and, and Drew League yeah. in, in, in LA. So yeah, absolutely. You know, hopefully. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, yeah, but and I tell you, as a matter of fact, we had some some games up here last year with Jamal. Right. Jamal, uh, he's the, he's he's running. The, he's the owner of this the, the the Seattle Pro League now, and he had the Drew League come up here. So it's been great since they haven't had basketball in Seattle, and a lot of these younger guys are bringing some of their players back to play games, and people can see they still have a relationship and see. Some some of these NBA players play in the summertime. Um, you know, it means a lot to kids when when they don't see these, they see these guys on TV and then they don't get a chance to see them during the season. So exactly. any little thing helps, man, when you're in the basketball court. Well, hopefully my brother and I can make it out there uh, this summer. I know it ends like in late August. I think it starts in June. Right. I could be wrong, but hopefully we'll make it out there. And um, hopefully we can catch up with you while we're in Seattle. But um, – Sean, it's been great. It's been amazing. I know you on Twitter. You're at uh, SK40 underscore Rain Man for those who want to follow Sean Kemp or who already do. Again, SK40 underscore Rain Man, R-E-I-G-N-M-A-N. Um, are you getting acclimated to this whole social media thing, Sean? 
a little bit, a little bit <laughs> uh, like it's different. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'll tell you this, man. I'm amazed. Well, I, I will tell you this. Social media is very powerful. Very, and very. A lot of times, a lot of times it's unfair. I mean, and I try to stay mainly positive on social media, and I would encourage everybody to stay mainly positive because you never know when you start put negative things out there on some people you just don't know how true it is or what exactly. it is and, and I and I see a lot of that so I I try to mainly stay positive man and keep a good relationship with people and uh, like I said man it's been a pleasure talking to you and just just being all kind of people from around the world like I didn't know how powerful social media was but I'm right. definitely glad that I took took part of it you know, could could you imagine Twitter during your playing days, man? The shit would have been crazy. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, sometimes I laugh and I'd be like, "Man, could you imagine that?" But then I'd be like, "Oh no, I'm glad. I'm actually glad yeah. it wasn't." So every um, dunk you did would have been like on Vine and Instagram yeah. in like five minutes. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, absolutely. It's you know, it's powerful. I see guys now sending messages out during halftime, which is unbelievable to me that you would have the time to do that. So the social media is a very powerful thing. Absolutely. Sean Kemp, thank you again. You're at SK40 underscore Rain Man here on the Cruise Control Podcast. I, I thank you. I appreciate it. And let's do it again sometime soon, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to everybody who's listening. And, um, you know, man, everybody should go out and do something, put a smile on somebody's face for Christmas. Huh? Christmas is about giving, not receiving. Likewise, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. All Take right. care, bro. You too.